During this episode, Kelly Roman, CEO of Fisher Wallace Labs, a pioneering company in wearable prescription technology, joins us to discuss how his team is building industry-leading innovations that treat the brain electrically to reduce the symptoms of depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Additionally, Kelly shares how Fisher Wallace came to be, why he is so passionate about liberating people from depression, and his vision for wearable technology as the next frontier for mental health treatment. Join us to learn how Kelly and the Fisher Wallace team help treat neuropsychiatric disorders with novel wearable technology. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Kelly. A big, big welcome to our podcast. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you. Well, given your work in helping pioneer the prescription wearable category for more than a decade, I am fired up to get in our conversation today. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, Please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Kelly, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and the Fisher Wallace team are building a prescription wearable company and pioneering the first hardware category to effectively compete with drug therapy for the treatment of depression, anxiety, and insomnia. But first, what is that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world. I'd have to say relish adversity. Those are the two words I'd say that if you have to relish adversity to really succeed. Wow, that is powerful, Kelly. A lot of people would say you're crazy for saying that. Why would you want to relish in adversity? Don't we always want to be crushing it? Don't we always want to be, you know, everything's going great with this startup. It just seems like there's this crush it culture out there, Kelly. How come you you were leading with relishing adversity. I love it. For me personally, which is really all I can speak of, it's like when I'm presented with some hard stuff to solve, I can feel that I'm in my zone. I can compare it to, you know, an athlete probably feels, a professional athlete, the focus goes on to the performance. And that's when I feel like I'm in my zone. If everything's going well, it almost feels like there's something wrong. <sighs> wow. That's powerful, Kelly. I love it. You know, because the one thing that I've also noticed throughout my entrepreneurial career, the moment I feel comfortable is when I don't feel I'm excelling at the highest level that I can, right? So it's kind of the same thing, right? I love the opportunity to solve big, hard, challenging questions. And to your point, if everything's going exactly as to plan, is everything going exactly as to plan? (laughs) That's right. Probably not. (laughs) Is that a type of mindset? Is that a culture you try to drive throughout the entire Fisher-Wallace family? Yeah, I hire people who I think I sense have that approach to engaging in business. And we're a small enough organization right now where, you know, I have a personal relationship with everyone here. So I'd say, yes, you got to lead by example. That's the Sun Tzu quote that I probably my favorite is you have to lead by example. I love it. You brought the heat right out the gates for this episode, Kelly. This is exactly what we look for 
with entrepreneurs that have been there, done that, built successful businesses. This is a key piece of advice for others who want to build those types of companies that are going to move healthcare forward. So thank you for setting the stage on what I know is going to be a powerful and exciting conversation today on the podcast. We're going to dive into everything happening within the Fisher Wallace camp after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side-by-side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Kelly Roman, CEO Fisher Wallace. Kelly, thank you so much for teeing us up on the front end. Incredibly important advice, especially as we try to innovate in one of the toughest and most complex industries in the country, around the world, that is healthcare. So Kelly, thank you for setting the stage. Can't wait to dive in to hear all the things that are happening within the Fisher Wallace team. You guys have been at it now for over 13 years. And you personally, you didn't start your career in healthcare. You're not a lifer as a lot of people in healthcare have, you know, dedicated their whole careers to. Matter of fact, you have an English degree from Harvard and now you're leading this amazing organization, Fisher Wallace. Can't wait to hear how you got into it in the first place. And then of course, what's the journey been like being the co-founder and CEO of Fisher Wallace, what are things happening today in the camp? And then where are things heading next? Not just for the company, but for our industry kind of writ large. And, you know, we always love to help our guests out as well. So we'll ask you how we can be helping you out. But first, Kelly, how did this all come to be in the first place? How did you find yourself in healthcare? How did you find yourself building Fisher Wallace? Give us a little bit of that backstory. Yeah, my, my job previous to this was actually writing and illustrating a graphic novel for HarperCollins. I adapted Sun Tzu's The Art of War. That was a multi-year project. It was really a dream project. And I had left my previous kind of quote-unquote real job was in marketing for SaaS and in social media in the beginnings of social media when Bebo was a big social network. What happened is I was basically finishing the book and needed to get back into the quote-unquote real world. I really wanted something entrepreneurial and the fates just opened up. I was on the Harvard Alumni Network. And I have to say that the tuition really paid off for that because I connected with Chip Fisher, who originally founded Fisher Wallace. And the Wallace and Fisher Wallace, Martin Wallace, had just passed away from cancer. So, you know, had a tragic beginning to the company. And we still keep the name as like a testament to him, Fisher Wallace. But he was looking for a new co-founder. And so we met, we both went to Harvard. He's 18 years older than me. So I uh, had a lot of experience that I didn't have and a big network. And he had found this technology, Wallace had introduced him to him. And I had taken antidepressants for a number of years and was at the point where I wasn't taking them. I couldn't tolerate the side effects. And Chip handed me this device. 
And it really worked for me. You know, I was an N of one, but I had a pretty profound response to it. And the challenge of trying to commercialize something and disrupt this very entrenched industry was appealing. And I think speaks to that relishing adversity mindset. This was very exciting. You know, he was also an English major. So we had two English majors now. What we did very quickly is surround ourselves with highly technical people on the science side and the regulatory side. And so the first 10 years really of the business was not quite stealth, but it was very much me learning the business, me learning the regulatory process. Most of the work that I did that made an impact during those that first 10 years was on the regulatory side. And then we didn't even start raising money until 2019. So I would say it's really since 2019 where we're a more traditional kind of startup. We had all the experience under our belts. We knew what we wanted to do. And to execute it, we needed to raise money. And that's when we really started, I think, being a more traditional startup. Wow. What a backstory. It is. Sometimes it's all about that network and being able to find those people that you can team up with and go build a business with. Because you know, as well as I do, Kelly, it, it ends up being quite like a marriage, right? I mean, it really is yes, in regards to yes. that, you know, being that committed to one another to build something from scratch. So Kelly, you mentioned, you know, about 10 years, that stealth might be a little strong of a term, but I get what you're saying, trying to figure out what's the product market fit. How are you going to compete in the marketplace? What exactly the consumer is needing at this time? So Kelly, with that, of course, through that journey, we also then have this thing called COVID-19 hit the globe. I got to imagine that impacted where you guys were going to, because you know, as well as I do, a lot of things that you were solving for, those became even more acute and more in focus and something that we were talking about in the social realm, right? We were discussing this out loud for once, right? We were finally shedding a light on it. So how has the business been even over the past, you know, two to three, three to four years, given still building up, raising funds, COVID hits, here we are somewhat on the other side of COVID. What has it been like over the past number of years? So that first 10 years of navigating the regulatory process culminated in December 2019, a couple of months before COVID started with the FDA publishing a final order that required us to conduct large-scale clinical trials for each indication. So our depression indication was PMA'd, so we had to go through a PMA process if we wanted to continue to market for depression, and anxiety and insomnia each had class two special controls, so FDA clearance on those sides, same device, but approval path for depression, a reclearance path for anxiety and insomnia. And so at that moment, we had a ticking clock that we had to get these studies done. So we started setting them up. We had just recently started raising money in 2019. And then when COVID hit, it became impossible to conduct clinical trials in the traditional way. And so I had to figure out how do we run these trials to hit these FDA deadlines, which, by the way, didn't change until the last minute. They did give us an extension, but not until literally a few weeks before. And so we had to run them remotely, but still stick to all the gold standard ways of running a trial. So this was a double blind in the most recent case, a triple blind, placebo controlled study, randomized. And so that's when I started researching and learning about some of these remote clinical trial platforms, which by the way, ended up being highly leveraged by pharma for the vaccine trials. And so pharma was also figuring that out at much bigger scale. And so we ended up running three trials simultaneously during COVID. And that was one of the greatest challenges I've faced. You know, I, like everyone else, was dealing with COVID and the lockdowns personally. So I was also running a business. Fortunately, the business was growing during that time because of the demand. But we had to run these three trials simultaneously 
and it was very challenging. So we had uh, pretty strong outcomes on anxiety and insomnia. Our depression trial had a big dropout rate really as a result of the pandemic and had some other challenges. So we actually had to redo the depression trial, which we just finished very recently. In fact, I was just unblinded to the results two days ago. So I have to thank FDA for giving us yet another extension on that depression trial. They recognized how difficult it was. I think they were stunned that we even did three trials during the pandemic. So maybe we won some respect there, and they ended up giving us a pretty unprecedented extension to redo the depression trial, which, you know, I can't get into the details of the results, but I can say that I think it's an approvable result, and we're definitely submitting that PMA with the trial results. And if we get through that process, we would become the first wearable device to be FDA-approved to treat depression. So awesome. And thank you for giving us a little bit of that look into what it was like to build your company during COVID. It's just mind-blowing. That must have been incredibly hard. You know, there was that adversity and you got right through it. I love it. So, I mean, there's example A of what you do, exactly what you described on the front end for the piece of advice. I love it. Kelly, so let's also talk about What's the current cost of mental health and how can your technology, how can technology help reduce the cost? I look at the pandemic as obviously a major catastrophe, but I also see the opportunity of Phoenix, you know, several Phoenixes rising from these ashes, right? And one of the big ones that I'm very passionate about is demystifying and celebrating mental health and in regards to it's okay to talk about it. This is part of whole health, right? There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But from your perspective, being one of those pioneers, in this kind of prescription wearable world, what is the current cost of mental health that you guys are seeing and how can technologies like yours help reduce these costs? Yeah, so to your first point, I think there was a huge increase in the prevalence of mental health conditions, particularly depression, anxiety. The positive thing that happened was that telemedicine exploded. The use of telemedicine exploded. That was a huge benefit for mental health companies. You don't need a physical exam to be prescribed mental health treatment. So we've integrated telemedicine process actually into our checkout. We run our business like an e-commerce business, kind of like a hims and hers, where you have a prescription process built in. But that was a game changer. So I think in terms of cost, there's several costs. There's the actual cost of treatment, which for medication, even if you have generics, it's expensive to administer those drugs. So you have all the doctor visits, Typically, you need many to kind of get to the right dose to mitigate for side effects. You may have to switch to another medication. There's some genetic testing and other things that can help with that, but it's still an expensive and fairly heavy lift on the provider side. Uh, Psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy is effective when patients are doing their homework with it, but it's also very expensive. That's human labor, the high-end human labor, usually to conduct that. There are apps that are doing more of that. And then you have the cost. What is the cost to the healthcare system if someone goes untreated or it has clinical depression? The hospitalization rate is much higher. The cost of many other things in their health is much higher. So you're less healthy and more expensive if you're depressed than if you're not. So the insurance companies, I think, put a pretty high premium on being able to mitigate that because there's all this downstream savings if you're able to address mental health. That's the economic side. Obviously, the human side. If you're not a patient like myself that was treating depression, you know someone who, right? So it really touches everyone's lives. So we're seeing definitely on social media, people talking about it more. We did our first social media type of event where we actually brought in comics, stand-up comics in New York to talk about their own mental health struggles. The thing about comedy, it's not just funny, 
good comics are very frank and very honest. And so that's what we really were shooting for there. I recently hired a consultant who was a big sports agent in Major League Baseball. And, you know, we're now going out to teams. And I think one of the most vocal people in society are talking about how are the professional athletes. And there's also a need for cognitive performance. One of the great things about wearable brain stimulation is it's not only treating symptoms, in many cases, it's improving cognitive function. So focus, concentration, memory, and motor skills. So it's a great tool for the athlete and other populations are also working with the Seattle Police Department now. So we're seeing, you know, Seattle Police Department is another example. We're seeing organizations kind of take this a lot more seriously and looking to address it. Well, let's talk about the tool, actually, Kelly, and the devices that you're building, right? At the front end, I teed it up that you and the team are really looking to effectively compete with drug therapy for, the, again, the treatment of depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Let's go there. How does this actually work? You know, your patented technology, it's treating the brain electrically. So why don't you give us a, let's dive into the weeds a bit. How does the technology work? How are you treating the brain electrically? And then, of course, it's always powerful to share, even if it's like an N of one or two. What's the response like from the end user, the consumer? What has it been like for the lives that you've touched? Again, let's first start on kind of the nerdy tech side. How are you treating treatment electrically? And what's the response been by your consumers? So in terms of mechanism of action, we know some. We need to learn more. And I think as a commercial organization, you have to invest in finding out, does it work? And then you can invest in the how it works because you know it has something you want to figure that out. If you put all your money in the how it works first, then you can't really commercialize. Now, there's been a lot of research in academia around brain stimulation, and then we've done some of our own research. So what I can tell you between the combination of the two, on our device that we've done, we have published biomarker data that shows increases in serotonin, endorphins, lowering cortisol. And then there's a, quite a bit of published research on transcranial alternating current stimulation, which is what our technology is. We have a patented set of frequencies, but as a category, there's been quite a bit of published research that this brain stimulation technology will entrain a brainwave state. So basically will cause neurons to oscillate, if you will, at a frequency that is in the alpha wave brain state. So you can bring people into a calmer brainwave state. There's also research that shows transcranial training current modulates a default mode network and kind of downregulates the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flee. We have a lot of veterans who use our device with PTSD. And one of the things they'll say is a lot of them will put it on. And for the first time, it doesn't matter the time of day, they'll want to fall asleep right after they put it on because it's taking them out of that fight or flee state. And their body is exhausted from being in that. So there's some other avenues of mechanism that we need to pursue research. And the biggest one, I think, is the increasing of membrane potential in neurons. So when I spoke to a cardiologist who had helped create uh, alternating current pacemakers, he told me that when they looked at the red blood cells that were passing by the pacemaker, they were able to detect with a kind of a dye blood study that the membrane potential was increasing. So basically that allows the give and take of chemicals and basically information and hormones and so forth to pass through the cell much more easily and in a sense causing the cells to act younger, if you will. And he basically said, that's what I think, as in he thinks, is why your device may be working so well, is that it's improving brain function neuron by neuron on this level. And we have to do some research to figure that out. Now, that could have impacts in other areas, such as dementia and Alzheimer's. We have done some Parkinson's research. Alzheimer's, though, is a big one that I think is down the road. 
And so those are the things that we kind of know from mechanism. I think there's over the next few years, especially if you know, we're continue to grow and become successful, we'll be investing more into figuring that out. Very exciting. Well, thanks for diving into the weeds a bit. Now, of course, the second part to that, what's the response been from your consumers? You know, you mentioned that you're working with the Seattle Police Department, working with professional athletes, but you also yeah. mentioned, which I'm also incredibly passionate about, working with some of our vets. Give us maybe one or two stories from those end users and how it's been life-changing for them. Yeah, so there's a veteran who has been pretty public about his experience with our device. His name's Logan Shield, and the U.S. Marine served in Iraq and Afghanistan. He had suicide attempt after being discharged, and the device uh, completely reversed that type of pathology. So he's been depression-free essentially since using our device. And that's kind of what I would call a, you know, a life-saving response. You know, in our anxiety trial, which we've submitted to FDA for reclearance, we had an over 70% response rate by week eight, and that is measured by having a 50% or greater reduction of symptoms. And so breaking 70% is a big deal for response rate. And we see that play out, I would say, anecdotally in our commercial business, where we've now sold over 100,000 devices. So we've generated over 40 million in revenue with this version one, really a proof of concept device. And our return rate this year is going to be about 13%. So it's still an out-of-pocket purchase. We're working on insurance reimbursement. That's a big reason why we're doing these studies. But right now it's out-of-pocket. So these people who could send it back for a refund, we have a 30-day return policy, full refund policy. And... 87% of them are keeping the device. So that's kind of reflecting, I think, what we're seeing in the clinical trial. And the clinical trials, of course, have a much more targeted population where you do an anxiety study, they can't have a comorbid depression. But in reality, most people have both. 80%, I believe, people with major depressive disorder also have an anxiety disorder. But when you're doing studies, you have to kind of isolate these things. So it makes sense to me that our return rate is as low as it is when you consider that if you're tackling two or, in many cases, three symptoms at once, insomnia, anxiety, and depression can all be together, that people are keeping their device. Wow. It's powerful. Powerful examples on how the technology is working. And Kelly, of course, we also want to talk future state as well. We'll pull the crystal ball off the shelf for a bit. You talked about one area that over the next number of years that could be of very high interest to you and the team is Alzheimer's, obviously, an interesting space to be studying and where technology like yours can be applied to. But where do you also see things heading, not just with Fisher Wallace, but where are things heading on the macro? Like, you know, this whole notion of wearable technology, right? It's had its fits and starts. Is this something that we're going to continue to rely upon and leverage wearables, whatever that might look like? So where's the wearable space heading and where's Fisher Wallace heading? Where do you see kind of on the horizon for you and the company and the industry writ large? One of the things that will define the speed and the scale of the trend will be, are do big tech companies that are mostly playing in consumer health, actually getting into our space, right? And, and are they getting into regulated wearables? I think it's inevitable that my thesis is the healthcare industry is simply too large. There's too much money. And you're seeing already consumer wearables, whether it's the iWatch or, or other products that are very healthcare geared. So I look at what Fisher Wallace is doing as kind of an easy transition from the consumer space into the FDA regulated space for tech. That's obviously part of what we think may be an exit strategy. But I do think whether it's us or, you know, I think big tech is going to be getting more and more into regulated treatment. And you see Google investing in FDA approved devices. I've seen them invest in diagnostic devices. So I think that's the bigger trend. One of the things that we're doing, we're building a version two device that's going to have the same simulation output. It's going to inherit all the regulatory. But I hired the industrial designer of Beats 
and Nest and the engineering firm behind the Microsoft HoloLens to really build a world-class looking device and something that you know would look like something that Apple or Google might build. And we're actually going to have, uh, you can choose your color, right? So you can have a green one or a blue one. There's no wires hanging down. It's completely head-based. It has a little voice assistant if there's not conductivity. And so what I like to say is the idea of choosing the color of your depression treatment is not something people think about today, but they will in, in the future. Very exciting. Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting. It's a huge industry. There's a lot of opportunity. And also on the regulatory side, incredible, incredible space to be playing in as well. So Kelly, thanks for breaking out the crystal ball, sharing a little bit of future state where you see things heading. Do appreciate that. And of course then, Kelly, you know, we have an amazing community that's rallied around this podcast. Love to help out entrepreneurs just like yourself. What's one problem, need, or question that you have that our community can be helping you with? We're running what may be our last equity crowdfunding campaign on Start Engine. So we've raised $7 million through equity crowdfunding. We've raised a little less than $3 million from venture capital. So our fan base, if you will, has also been very supportive on that side. We're running it now. It's probably our last one. So if, if you're interested in learning more, you can go to Start Engine forward slash Bishop Wallace and check us out there. I really appreciate that. Excellent. Easy enough. And then, of course, if other investors want to talk to you directly and personally about the opportunity to get involved or any other questions or comments that our community, how can they get a hold of you? Social media handles, websites, or otherwise, how can they track you down, Kelly? I think emailing info, I-N-F-O, at FisherWallace.com is the best way. That will get uh, tracked to me. That's the best way. I'm also happy to receive invites on LinkedIn and so forth, but I don't check the LinkedIn messages as much. I think info at Fisher Wallace is the best way to reach me. Easy enough. And for our uh, listening community, just head on down into the episode notes, click on through those contact points to get a hold of Kelly and the team. You can head over to our free global online community as well over at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for Kelly's episode where you can also leave comments and feedbacks in the comments section of the post and find those contact points online. Again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, Kelly, it's an exciting picture that you've painted of what's happening, what has happened inside of Fisher Wallace, where you're at today, where you're going tomorrow. Keep us posted with everything happening. But before we let you go, we have one more piece for you. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because liberating people from depression really allows them to live their best lives. That's why I'm passionate about it. I love it. I love it. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for all that you do. Taking a pit stop here on our podcast to share with all the things happening within the Fisher Wallace camp. We look forward to being in touch, but for now, I know you're a busy entrepreneur. We'll hit the stop record button here in a moment. Let's get back to building your amazing company. But for now, Kelly, again, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It was great speaking with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.